Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. If you're a real estate agent that is on what we call the real estate roller coaster, with your income always going up and down and up and down, like me when I first started, you've come to the right place. At Agent Investor, we help real estate agents get off that godforsaken real estate roller coaster by investing in real estate. And we do so by bringing on guests like our guests today, Leo and Brianna. Uh, Leo and Brianna first started listening to our podcast a few years ago, and you're going to hear the story about how they got started in real estate investing and how they've really come a long way. If you're somebody who just in the beginning phases of real estate investing or maybe never even done a deal yet, you're going to learn how they've come so far so quickly with utilizing a lot of the methods that they've actually heard on this podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Leo and Brianna. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, definitely a pleasure to have you guys on. You guys were panelists at the Agent Investor event just a couple of weeks ago, and you guys always have a ton of great information to share. What first got you interested in real estate investing to even begin with? That's a great question. So I think for me, it was the idea of freedom and the velocity of capital. I wanted to increase my capital, increase my freedom, and have a little bit more to say when it came to my everyday schedule. So when you say freedom, what were you experiencing at that time that said, I want freedom? Because typically when people want freedom, it's because they don't feel like they have it then. Like, What was the actual thing going on in your life where you're like, yeah, I want to be out of this cage right now. Reacting a lot more than I was taking action. So my day was reactive to whatever my manager's schedule was. I had monthly cadence and deliverables that I had to do on a month-to-month basis. And then my entire life was focused around that schedule. When I say freedom, I mean ability to, to say and to follow what I wanted it to do or what I wanted the vision of my life to be. Okay. And so what made you think, though, that real estate investing was the answer? You know, I kind of started listening to podcasts early on when I was a financial analyst and I kept hearing about, you know, living rent free. And, and I thought to myself, okay, if I can take off the weight of my rent, if I can, you know, house hack my first three family, then I have the freedom to go on to more entrepreneurship tasks. I can go on and you know, do something and be a little bit more creative, figure out a path where I can either invest or become a realtor or just kind of look at different things. But I knew that I had to stick with the nine to five job until I was able to get away from the rent. Right. So that was my step one. Well, and I also should say that Brianna and Leo are a couple. Brianna, tell us, is it the same? I'm sure it wasn't the same thing for you. And in fact, while he was having those thoughts, you guys were not yet a couple at that point, right? Correct. What What was the same kind of thing for you that made you think real estate investing was it? Or, or why did you want to do real estate investing? So my story is completely different than Leo's. I We always joke about 
me being an entrepreneur when I was born. I kind of grew up doing, you know, lemonade stands and I would go to the golf course and collect golf balls with my father and we'd clean them up and go sell them, you know, for a lower rate outside of the golf course over at Gannon. Worked on my art for a while. I'm an artist. So I was selling, you know, phone cases and things as I got older. And growing up, I, you know, everyone was watching Nickelodeon and I was watching HGTV, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, drawing layouts of hotel floors. And, you know, I was always fascinated by real estate. And I always knew that was the path I was going to take from an early age. My parents wanted me to go to college. And that was something they thought, you know, very highly of. And so my plan was to study architecture, because it completely coincided with flipping houses. Mm -hmm. So that was always my plan. Even while I was in college, I didn't do, you know, all the extracurricular stuff to to work on a resume because I never had the intention of needing a resume. I always knew I was going to work for myself. I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to get here, but I knew I was going to figure it out because working for someone else my whole life just didn't feel like was a path I wanted to take. She's definitely the cool one. (laughs) She's for sure the cool one. Yeah, I and I would say, you know, out of the thousands of people that I've either mentored or coached or come to the brokerage or whatever, that's actually more uncommon. I'd say more of the story, Leo's story is like much more common where it's like, you know, you you didn't think you were an entrepreneur, you didn't think you wanted to work for yourself, and then uh-huh. something happened that made you. So that's kind of interesting. That's definitely more rare to just, you know, want to be an entrepreneur kind of like right out of the gate. So you both had the motivation. You both know you wanted to invest in real estate in some way. And then was your first deal that you ever did together? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was the first deal. It was the first, even like, just like the first thought was together. It was never like, oh, hey, we should, you know, and I had no other experience prior to. I was an agent before and I've sold two or three houses, but our first house we ever bought together, you know, we ever did, it was together. Yeah. And now, again, just because I know you guys and I I know the story, but I want to retell it. At the point that you guys decided to do your first deal together, it was just business, right? There was no like you guys. Right. We were friends. So a little history. We actually we met in sixth grade. So we've known each other for quite a long time. We're kind of friends in middle school and then kind of, you know, fell out during high school and college and we became friends after he was actually buying a piece of art off of me. So we met and um, kind of did that exchange. And that's when we started talking and we were friends. We, you know, we were actually by the pool one day and we started talking. He was talking about real estate investing with one of our other friends. And I remember looking at them like, is this just pool talk or is this actually going to turn into something? Cause if it is, let's right. figure it out. Well, you know, knowing people like how I know them, the first attempt probably for him to form the relationship with you was pretending like you liked art. So, so he said, okay, now I'm going to try real estate. And, <laughs> and so it seems like that avenue worked out pretty well. Now, you guys, obviously, you started talking, you heard him talking about real estate. You guys started about talking about real estate together. How did it then become like, let's do this together? Yeah, from there on out, I was still working at nine to five. Um, I was trying to be an agent on the side. I was working crazy hours, 
I want to preface this with saying that COVID was a really traumatic and tragic thing for the nation. But for us, it was like a moment of pause in society that allowed us to focus and hone on in our business. Right. So when COVID hit, it was the moment everything kind of paused. And Brianna looked looked at ourselves and we're like, dude, like this is the most opportune time to start Eclipse Class Homes. Right. If we don't do it now, I don't think we'll ever have this opportunity again. I was working from home at the time. Brianna just became unemployed. Yeah, I was before I was waitressing and I was doing a little bit of architecture and art on the side. And I was saving up to flip houses. And Mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit, I stopped working. You know, my my dad was high risk. It just wasn't an option. I stopped working. I was at home and I was like, okay, it's now or never. I'm never going to have this much time. Then we pulled all our money together into a business account. We hired a learning, an attorney, draw up some, um, some agreements and build our LLC. And from there on out, we're like, okay, we got to find our first property. And we started going out to properties, started looking at different things. And all the numbers we were seeing just didn't make any sense. We were just ran a few numbers. We're like, dude, we got to go off market. Mm-hmm. So from there on out, we created Eclipse Buys Homes and started direct mail marketing and knocking on doors and cold calling. In the first deal that you guys got that you did together, what what was the source of that? Like, how did you meet the seller? So that was a postcard. Mm-hmm. And the way that came about was because at the beginning, we had so much more time than money. Yes. So we drove around. I paid, made it part of my, you know, I wasn't working a job. So I was like, this is now my job. And yes. I worked 10 hours a day at it. And part of the time that I spent was driving around. You were putting the postcard in somebody's mailbox. No, that's how I came up with the list. Oh, sorry. Yeah, but we did do that as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The reason the reason I asked that is because I, I see a lot of people, like we talk about, you know, different ways to get deals. And one of them that we talk about sometimes is door knocking. And a lot of people find it very challenging to do that. And I always say, well, you know what, like, if you can't knock on a door, put something in their mailbox, put a door hanger on, like, there's different ways to kind of like go about doing that. And there's nobody that can't, you know, grab a couple hundred door hangers, and just walk a neighborhood like anybody can do that. That's not really intrusive. But so you guys, you were driving for dollars, looking for what just like beat up houses or whatever. Yeah, things I've heard either, you know, some indicators that I've heard either on podcasts, things I saw on YouTube, just like just whatever, you know, ugly house we can find. We just put it down or down on a list and then added that to our mailer list and just send out the first sets of postcards. So you both said something in different ways that you didn't explicitly say. And I just want for people that are listening, like you guys are young, you're having success at a young age, you're doing things that like a lot of people haven't done even much older. One thing that you guys keep saying over and over again in different ways is that you get educated. Why have you made a commitment to getting educated and how has that like helped you guys like move forward? So at the beginning, it was just the idea. Okay, we're going to buy houses, cash, flip them, renovate them for profit. Okay, how do you do that? Right. How is buying? <laughs> how do cash? you finance them? How do you put your list together? What is driving for dollars? Right. You know, how do you make postcards? What's this? Uh, you know, there's just so many things. So at the beginning, part of what we were doing every day, we were listening to podcasts. We were 
reading books. You know, that was so part of our homework. When we say these things, it was part of our homework, but it was also part of our KPIs. It's kind of what we did on a weekly basis. We touched base, like, okay, how many chapters of this book did you read? Um, how many podcasts did you listen to this morning? You know, because remember, we were at a different schedule. I was still working my nine to five. She was working kind of full time on, on the business at the time. We had deliverables, and every week we had to say, okay, we learned X, Y, and Z. We came together, shared our notes, and learned the best that we could. And the thought process behind it was we want to get into this as soon as possible. So the best way to reduce that learning curve was to learn. Right from other people's mistakes and other people's actions. So that's what we did. We also found people around us who were doing what we wanted to do. And we'd message them on Instagram, on Facebook, and hey, can we stop by your project for a minute and just show up and you know pick their brain for as long as we can before they got annoyed with us <laughs> and we're like, okay, I gotta go. Yeah, we we did a lot of things. We did a lot, but mostly what we did was be in the way, right? You learned a lot by being in the way. Right. We went, we got a few developers coffees before we've gone with donuts before we've gone and helped with trash outs before, before we even did anything. Right. Just being in the way, I feel like we learned a ton. And I think that's what really gave us the confidence when we, that first deal came across for us to go and pull the trigger and do it. So for the people that are listening, like, you know, talking about getting in the way, how overall, like as you're going out there, trying to find mentors, trying to find people that are ahead of where you're at that you can learn from, how was that received in general? Was it received like people like treated you like you were a nuisance and it was a challenging thing or that kind of the opposite or somewhere in the middle where they they said, wow, like these two people want to do stuff. I'd love to talk to them more. It was positive feedback overall, generally. You know, some people were like, dude, like you guys are hustlers going do your thing. You know, some other people thought we were, <laughs> we were annoying. Yeah. And but we knew it was like the law of averages, right? The more people we spoke to, the on average we were gonna succeed. So we just kept doing it. And we had to just keep working harder because the longer we were in it without a deal, every time we'd meet with our families, every time our friends, you know, the famous question was, Did you get a house yet? And we're six months into it, seven months into it, and we didn't have a house yet. Right. So it just kind of pushed us to work harder. Yeah, I think it goes with that perspective. Like, you know, I always say people, especially if they come to like my seminar, like I'm the most demotivational speaker you'll ever meet because <laughs> I always talk about having that long-term horizon. Right. And a lot of times people don't. And I think that's where they fail because right. they have the expectation. It's a completely unreasonable expectation, but the expectation is I go to one seminar, a week later, I'm going to have a deal. A month later, I'm going to have a profit. And it just doesn't work that way. The fact that it took you guys six months, I look at that saying, oh, that might even be on the faster side. Like I, We thought it was pretty fast. Firstly, we're like, so the, the first postcard we ever sent out, got a call. The first appointment we ever went on, we signed it, right? Yeah. It's just not probably, it's never happened to me ever again after. No. Yeah. It, I've never no. had. <laughs> and, um, you know, like my first deal that I did, you know, I talked about a lot, like I made 115,000 doing a wholesale deal. You know, I can count on one hand how many more I've done that were that easy and that simple. And it just happened to be our first deal. So there's definitely, you know, law of averages. Sometimes the averages go against you in the beginning when you have the small sample size, sometimes they go with you. But I think it's important for people to have a long-term mindset and to say, okay, I'm going to commit to real estate investing and I'm going to look at it as at least in a three-year window, like three years, like I'm going to give it my all 
And after maybe after three years, if you've done nothing still or you had no success, maybe, right. but like you can't look at it in 90 days, 180 days, even I don't think 360 days, other than are you making progress towards getting more deals, getting more funding, you know, building up your expertise. So you talked about having, you know, education KPIs, just, you know, individually, Leo for you and then Brianna for you, how many hours a week do you think on average you spend getting educated? If you're just guessing, I know you don't have the answer off the top of your head. I'm going to go with Brianna first because Leo is dying to to talk. So (laughs) we'll let him go second. I'd say maybe 10, 10 to maybe 15 hours a week on a good week. Yeah, that fluctuates a lot. And there's some weeks that we go to, you know, longer, you know, two, three, four day seminars, right? So our goal is to be a little bit better than the day before, wow. whether that's a podcast, whether that's by reading a book, whether that's, you know, having a conversation with someone on Facebook, whatever that is, it, it, it's going to help you in the long run. Right. And I'm probably in the, in the same number too, right? And the thought process has always been like for us, education has changed our lives. And we just take, we think it's extremely important. And I think you can just reduce the timeline of success if you just get educated. It's there, just a there, fact. There's no doubt. And so there, there's a reason we always have the saying, the more you learn, the more you earn. You don't just want to be a student. You want to take action. You want to do stuff. But I think you have to first start by be, becoming obsessed with learning. You know, today we're just so fortunate that you ha- can be listening to a podcast like this or many others. And I always tell people, don't just listen to my podcast, listen to other podcasts too, read books. We have Audible now. Like, you know, when I first started in real estate, there was no Audible. Like you couldn't have somebody reading you a book while you're walking, while you're doing stuff. Now you can have somebody read you a book. You have YouTube now. <laughs> Like you, you literally, you don't even have to be sitting somewhere reading now. You can get almost fully educated, just, you know, walking around your house, doing errands or being in the car, especially if you're a real estate agent. But but I think it's important, right? That um, we get rid of the stuff that isn't making us money and isn't helping us. So like the evening news, the, you know, talk radio, the listening to music in the car, I know that maybe doesn't sound that fun. But at the end of the day, you have to make a decision like, is this going to be your life or not? And if it's not going to be your life, fine, do something else. But if it is like the numbers that you guys just said, probably are going to blow some of our listeners away, like over 10 hours a week getting educated probably is way more than the average person would think you would need to do it. And I always say when people come to the two day event, I'm like, this is the beginning. This is the beginning of you getting educated if you want to take this seriously, but that's how you get the results. Hey, everyone. This is Tom Caffarella. I want to quickly interrupt the podcast to, number one, thank all of my loyal listeners of the Agent Investor Podcast and tell you guys really quickly about an exciting event we have coming up. Uh, It's a two-day event. It's called the Passive Income Real Estate Investor Event um, that you can find out more details at PassiveIncomeEvent.com. We're going to be doing a two-day training session teaching all of the agents and all of the investors at the event on how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. If you're like me and your goal is to not work 80, 100 hours a week grinding, selling real estate, 
flipping homes. Um, definitely check out this event. We're going to teach you how to build a passive income portfolio so that you can retire, so that you can work when you want, how you want, and ultimately achieve financial freedom. So again, go to PassiveIncomeEvent.com for more details. And we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming event. So you guys did a postcard. You did your first deal. That was a profitable deal, right? I mean, to be quite honest, it was barely profitable, but I did something that was the most important thing, which was to prove the theory. And then we learned all about construction as much as we can during that process. Right. I think we made like $35,000 on here. Yeah. 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 We, I would... <laughs> we, I we got would... the check and put it right into another property. So I wouldn't call that barely profitable. I get the, I do get the point in the sentiment that probably the average flip profit in our market is higher. Right. But I think for your first deal, that's pretty good. And it gave you the momentum, right? Like all right. those questions about like, Hey, when are you guys going to buy a house? Those I'm sure they're never going to end. Like until, until you're buying your parents a house or you're, you're doing something like that. Those questions are going to kind of remain. So you have the proof of concept and you you guys just say something else, right? You put that money back into another house. Yeah. We didn't even think about it. It was just like, okay, this needs to keep going. We learned a lot here. There was a learning curve that, you know, that happened during the construction phase and we made a lot of mistakes. And that's why I said barely profitable because the profit margin when we projected it was supposed to be triple that. But there were so many mistakes that were made from there to execution that, you know, we're happy that the market was trending upwards. Uh, We bought the deal correctly. We waited enough time. We said no to probably 10 properties before we bought that one. We waited for the one that there was enough margin in there for us to mess up and still be okay and ended up working out. But from there on out, we're like, dude, you know, we got to just keep this, we got to keep the snowball going. So from there on out, we um, bought our first multifamily and did our first bird deal right after that. Something to note, you know, we still don't pay out a salary to each other. Every dollar that we've made from real estate investing, we've thrown it back into the business. I was just going to say that, and you said it first. (laughs) People people expect to, I think, you know. Take and take and take. And and (laughs) capital in your business when you're starting off is just oxygen. And the more oxygen you take from your business, the more more likely you will suffocate down the line. But also, just there's no incentive for it to stay there, right? You're seeing it as as a piggy bank as opposed to an investment. And that's, that's the time horizon you got to look at it. It's, you know, I'm not looking to get rich tomorrow, but I'm looking to be wealthy in 10 years. And that's the way we thought about it. And, and, and just, you know, to, to echo off of that, like with our story, the $115,000 that we made, we took 10 K each and we put that right back into marketing. We continue to do that for years and years and years, which is like, what can we live off of? Like live Maybe not as cheaply as possible. Like, you know, it's like we we didn't we didn't live like crazy low expense lives, but we had high income. So we right. could have lived very high expensive lives. So what we did was whatever the number was in the in the early days, you know, before I had kids or whatever, 
let's just say that the number was that we can make that that, that we could live off of eighty five thousand dollars. You know, I'm making up a number. We take that number, even if the company made you know a million bucks. Okay, like take the eighty five and reinvest it back into the business, and then okay, what do you do when you're reinvesting back into the business? You you're generating, you're paying for leads, you're you're paying people, you're hiring you're getting office space and and that's all the stuff that you know it's like you have to the, the saying one of my first ever mentors was a guy named Mike Herney he runs um he still runs a monthly RIA meeting in Peabody and he he said something like in the very early on they stuck with me he said if you live your 10 your your next 10 years like nobody else will you'll live the rest of your life like nobody else can and you guys doing that, Burr, and I know that we talked about this on the um, the two-day event. Like, what are you guys doing now with your expenses to, to keep them relatively low or to not live above your means? It's pretty funny because we'll, we're on these podcasts and we're on these uh, events on stage. And then if you go out to the parking lot, we're going to pull out in our Toyota. That's, you know, 2000, I think it's 2008. Like, (laughs) you know, the check engine light is still on, but it's (laughs) for us, it just doesn't make sense to do anything else. Right. So we just, we live humbly, you know, Um, we live in our house hack still. Um, We haven't switched anything. Nothing is out of the ordinary. We still drive our high school cars. Like we haven't swapped that out at all. There's just no need. If we increase our lifestyle now, it's unsustainable because then it would have to be drained out of the business. And I'm not willing to do that. If I'm going to increase my lifestyle, I want it to be for the rest of my life at that level until the the day that I'm here. Right. I don't want to go up and down with the fluctuations of business. We want to increase our lifestyle when the moment is right. So for us, it just doesn't make any sense because at the end of the day, our biggest luxury is our freedom. Right. Yeah. Our biggest is that we get to do what we want every day and keep doing the business. So we're just happy to be here. And this all goes back to like a mindset thing. Like almost everything that we've talked about, like is mindset and perspective on like knowing what you want and how you can achieve it. And, you know, again, to echo off your point, because there's so many parallels. Obviously, you guys are more than 15 years, you know, younger than me or 15, somewhere in that ballpark. Right. But I remember when we first started to have success, you know, maybe like in year three or year four, I remember driving around my Nissan Murano with like a hundred thousand miles on it. And I remember pulling up places and I, and I literally remember different people, like the way they would look at me and be like, Oh, like you did this, but you're, you have like a Nissan Murano, like it that has a hundred thousand miles, like so confused. And the crazy thing about it is like now that like, you know, years have passed and like business makes a lot more money and we're much more stable and we don't have to keep dumping our own money into the business. Now I have a much nicer car, I have a much nicer house. And the way people look at you is totally different. It's mind boggling, like the lack of financial education that people have just kind of about this stuff. It's like you drive a nice car, therefore you have money, but it's actually usually the opposite. You know, unless you go the route of sacrificing, 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 and then you do it when it's like, hey, I can drop 80K on a car and just pay cash. But most people are doing the $80,000 car when they don't have the ability to even do anything close to that. But yet the world looks at that person 
like, geez, how, how successful are they? And even like people in your own family, like you said, the story about like, when are you getting a deal? When are you getting a deal? When are you getting your first deal? It's like, this is one of the things that I think is so challenging about investing in general, or even just success in general, is that the perception that the average person has on what that looks like versus what it actually looks like, they're just so far different. Uh And it's hard because you always have to be answering that question of like, why don't you have a nice car or, or why, uh, why don't you have, why did something happen recently along those lines? Yeah. We park down the street when we go places. Cause I'm just like, I can't have this conversation. And if if you want to change your mindset, it's a whole conversation and most people aren't very receptive of it. Right. So we don't, sometimes we don't care enough. So we just go park to the house we're doing. I'm like, I do like, we're going to end up buying this thing cash anyway. So it doesn't really matter to me whether you think my car is crappy or not. Right. And I say this all the time. Like my biggest flex is our freedom because I knew there was a point in my life where I didn't have it. Right. There's a point in my life where I couldn't do that. So that's all we concern ourselves about, you know, how much more freedom can we gain and how much more can we grow this thing? We do have to feed into the look of it though. Sometimes. So uh, we do have to think about those things and how the world doesn't always understand the logistics behind it. I have parked down the street just to mm-hmm. just to eliminate the whole mindset shift right. that is probably going to be a, a whole lot harder to get someone through in a conversation. I mean, and at this, I guess I have a lot of practice with it because we were both with when we both moved into our parents' house when we decided to start this thing. So I was like, oh, dude, I'm, you know, not only am I living in my parents' house, I'm also driving my high school car. So from the outside, it might look like this guy hasn't really moved a lot in the last six or seven years of his life. But in reality, we were just building this nest egg, creating this business and doing the most that we can to increase our capital to go into our first deal. That's what that was our sole focus. Yeah. And I think the other thing, too, with all this is like just the ability to have the confidence to invest in yourself like in investing your own business and and knowing that like with the education, with getting around people who are doing it, like having the belief that it's going to work out because, you know, you could take your profits and if you buy a nice car, well, at least you have the nice car, but if you invest in your business, it's not a hundred percent guarantee, even though you can do everything that you should be doing and get educated. So I think you also need kind of like the mindset that the belief system you guys, you know, completed the house hack and you're living in the house hack now, the three family. Yeah. And I heard Leo is really, really overly, he referred to himself as a Karen when it comes to picking out the tenants. <laughs> is yeah. that, is that true? <laughs> Very I true. didn't, I didn't say the word that <laughs> you, you said the word, you called yourself a Karen. We had we had the luck and privilege to get a really tough tenant. Our first, the first apartment we ever rented, and I call it a privilege because it set the foreground of our, the systems that we need in place in the review process that we need in place to be able to bring a new tenant in. And I think um, I think we're just so blessed that that happened to us early on. Yeah, we're going to be owning tons of apartments down the line, right? So. Yep. It just completely changed our perspective. Not everyone is inherently nice. Not everyone is going to abide by the rules. So now we got to make sure we make the rules explicit and we record them while we're doing it. You know, we just, it just changes the way we're doing things. Yeah, I think that just comes with like, just the fact that 
you need to be doing things to get the experience to learn. Right. And of course, like, you know, you want to get educated and be around other people to, to prevent mistakes. Having said that, you are going to make your own mistakes. It's unavoidable. And as long as you acknowledge it that like, hey, this isn't a bad thing. This is a lesson like I, that I need to make something better. And that's always going to happen. That's going to happen at every point along what you guys are doing. Your first hire, your first this, your first that. There's going to be mistakes that are made no matter how much education you have. But if you take that educational piece, learn how to overcome it, you're going to keep moving forward. So three family, you guys are living in it. What is that costing you net? Like how much does it cost you per month to live in this three family right now? We're making $1,500 a month. What? (laughs) Yeah, we're living rent free. We're making $1,500 a month. You're making $18,000 a year by owning a multifamily, right? And and this is another thing talking about, I mean, this whole theme of everything is just sacrifice, right? The end of the day, you guys could run out and buy a single family home to live in, no doubt. However, by living in this multifamily in one of the three units, which is a little bit of an inconvenience, I'm sure. I'm sure there are some days where, well, it might be more of an inconvenience for the tenants that don't want to be you know? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but for you guys, in all seriousness, there's nobody, there's nobody who wants to live with two other groups of people. It's not convenient. Someone's going to play their music loud. Somebody's going to cook something that you don't like. They're going to do something you don't like. You're gonna, they're going to park somewhere. You don't want them to park. Like <laughs> It's true. All these things happen, right? So it's a sacrifice. You can live in a single family and only have to deal with yourselves, which is obviously better. But you've made the decision to sacrifice and put yourself in a position that when you wake up at the beginning of the year, you're making $18,000 a year guaranteed, Correct. right? And you're in your, your cost on a monthly basis to live for housing is zero. So you're plus, you're plus 18,000. And then of course, then you've got the asset kind of working for you, the ability to potentially take equity out of it down the road, the, the notes getting paid down, your get depreciation on your tax return and all those other benefits. You know, we've talked about, you know, a couple deals that you guys have done. And ultimately, again, the sacrifice that you guys are willing to make and the fact that you're getting educated where do you want this to go five plus years down the road? The hard thing is when you realize, okay, if I flip this house, I can make maybe six figures, right? You get this big paycheck and there it is. But you have to keep working for that. <laughs> you've got to go find the next deal. You've got to renovate it. You've got to make sure all the numbers are correct. And you've got to make sure that you sell it and get another one of those checks. And for us, we want to focus on building our portfolio. And, you know, when we can wake up on the first of every month and, you know, there's 10,000, 20,000 being deposited into our account, that's where I would like to be and, and really focusing on that. Yeah. Just finding our path to that in the next five years is really our goal. Yeah. And, you know, you said something that like, everybody struggles with, which is like, when you're in this business and you're finding good deals, you always have like two options. Option one, quick cash, make money, putting in my pocket today. Option two, hold for the long haul. And option number two always makes you way more money in the long run, but in the short run, it doesn't. 
And that's Mm -hmm. why, you know, we always like, I I preach like, you know, if you're in this business, you're finding off market deals, you know, you have to have a cadence, which is like, I'm going to sell one and then keep one or whatever the cadence is. It could be sell one, keep two. It could be sell two, keep one, depending on like your financial position and what you can do. But the more that you can eventually hold on to, the more that it's going to snowball and the better position you're going to be in. But there's the reality and where the expenses matter so much. So if you're plus 1500 bucks a month, just living where you're living and not having a $5,000 a month mortgage, like you can hold on to more. So it's just like all of these different like incremental things. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's exciting to be where you guys are at. Like, I mean, pretty much, you know, exactly where we were at when we first started. And it's going to be interesting to kind of see like, you know, where you guys, you know, end up going. And, you know, for my sake, I do hope that Brianna at some point lets Leo go, but, um, you know, we'll see, we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, we, so, we sure acts together now. So now she has to like legally let me go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna keep trying to figure out ways to kind of hang on. But um I guess like what would you guys say? Like a couple of wrap-up questions. Number one, what would you say to the person that's been a successful agent that is scared to invest? Like what what advice would you give them? So I, I think from their perspective they know the hardest part of the game, right? Which is what's a deal? What's the arbitrage? When you're a successful agent, you know what that arbitrage is. You know that this house that's being sold right now is in a great neighborhood. They understand the metrics. They understand what the exit is. Now they just need to figure out what the middle portion of that is. And to be quite frank, for me, figuring out what was a deal and what the arbitrage was, was the hardest part for me. And I think they have 80% of the equation figured out. They just simply need to muster up the courage and get over the next 20. Brianna, what would you say to that, the courage part? Because I'm just curious, like, if you have a different perspective. Maybe you don't. So the way I see it is Bill's an agent, Bob's an investor. You guys are basically doing the same thing throughout the day. You're cold calling clients. You're sending mailers. You're on Facebook looking for deals, your whatever you're doing, your day is mostly the same. That's true. If Bill, the agent, you know, lands a deal and gets that signed um, listing, okay, he makes maybe 10, 15,000. You know, if it lands for Bob, Bob could have 150,000. Maybe yeah. Bob on a, on a bad day has 60. Yeah. It's just, it, it, the numbers are there and if, if you can't be scared because yeah. scared doesn't make like it, it's it's risky but if is it that risky if you know the numbers and you know what you're doing and you're getting educated it's an educated risk and it usually pans out right if you're making six figures as an agent you understand what those risks are you understand the market and you understand the fluctuations yeah. And that goes back to like, it, there's a lot of books out there that talk about the fact about like thinking big. Like, I think the difference between agent and investor in that component, like you're saying, is like, there's just like another zero at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, so like if things go good, you have that extra zero, but you kind of did mostly the same thing. And, you know, I've read so many books about like, like people, you know, just going slow and steady and then people going like, you know, much bigger. 
And like everything is kind of the same, except the reward for the person who thinks bigger is like a lot larger. But right. yet, yet there's really no change other than the fact that the mindset part. So last question I want to ask you guys, just, you know, to give the audience some feedback on like the inner circle in general is like, what would you guys say to somebody who is thinking about joining the inner circle, whether it's through the brokerage or capital or whatever? Like what piece of advice might you give them as to like the benefits or the biggest benefit that you see of being in their inner circle? So it goes back to the education piece. Right now, years later, after we started, we're still doing 10 to 15 hours a week. When we first started, I was doing six to eight hours a day of education. Educating is it's it's everything. And I think when you're in the inner circle, you're around everyone doing things that you either want to do or you have questions about doing, or you can reach out to these people who have already done it. And they're going to say, Hey, don't do this, but do this. I've already done this and, you know, give you the courage you need or help you or whatever you need, whether it's a partnership, whether it's recommendations, it's, it's, this little like gold mine of people doing what you want to do. Yeah. And and I think it's also valuable too. like during the month or throughout the weeks, I write down questions that I may have for you or for other members in the group. Right. And there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Right. If I have, like, I think I reached out to you about a single family flip in Winthrop and I was running through the numbers and I was like a little hesitant. So it was during the time that everyone was like, you know, the market's going to crash. Interest rates are going up. Things are going to change. And I was able to find the confidence in, in that group to then be able to go, you know what, Brianna, the numbers make sense. You know, we understand our rental budget. We love the market. You know, I spoke to, I literally, one of our points during that meeting was like, I spoke to Tom during that inner circle meeting. He thinks the you know, the underwriting on this is strong. Let's just, let's just pull forward. Right. And that led to many other things. So I think having the confidence and to gain the confidence in that group is super important. But it's also an incubation of a thought process, right? It's the incubation of thinking big. It's the incubation of thinking like an investor as opposed to an agent. And I think that has tons of dividends for sure. And then how did you guys end up doing on that deal in Winthrop, like rough, roughly? Did it work out well? Uh, yeah. Uh, 200,000 200, plus. Roughly. We haven't closed on it yet, but we're yeah, almost fingers there. Fingers crossed. And... Yeah, well... If everything went wrong, it would still be a huge profit. Right. (laughs) But that's what we're talking about education, right? Like our first flip took us nine months and we made 30 grand. Two and a half years later, we reduced that timeline in half and quadrupled the profits. That's the power of compounding time and education. Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously, I want to thank you guys for, for saying that stuff. Your uh, your dividend check will be in the mail next week. Um, no, but I I do appreciate it, and you know, I, I think at the end of the day, like obviously, you know, if it benefits me from somebody being in the inner circle, but it's a two way thing, right? Like it, it's not just that I'm going to get a benefit. It's 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 a win win if somebody takes advantage of it. For those of you who want to learn more about the inner circle and want to jump on a call with me about what it looks like, you can do that at www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. Again, that's www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. 
And there are both free and paid ways to get into the inner circle. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to cost you anything to get in, you know, so we have, you know, a variety of different options, but I want to thank you guys for, for jumping on and, um, you know, obviously we'll continue, you know, this, the discussion and I'm looking forward to seeing where you guys are at in the next few years. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. So. All right, guys, and we'll be back again next week with another edition of the Agent Investor Podcast. If there's one thing that, you know, was the big takeaway for, for me with what they're saying is get educated. Take the time to listen to the podcast. Don't just listen to one episode. Listen to a ton of the episodes and don't just listen to my podcast. Listen to a bunch of other podcasts. We'll look forward to, you know, offering another episode out next week and we'll see you guys next week. Remember, Sales will make you a living. Investing will make you wealthy. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education strategies and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.